Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. So we generalize, delete, and distort. This all happens at the base level. Moving ahead, we have the next level of thoughts, feelings, values, beliefs, and convictions. Think of a thought. A thought will cause a feeling, like remember the time you got kicked in the nuts. The feeling or states will create your reality through processing and development. Over time, your feelings contribute alongside with other things to develop values. These are essential because we have so much information coming at us. We have to be able to screen it out with our processes. This allows us to focus on what we want. So it's true, you do get what you focus on. Values take part in forming beliefs, which again screens the incoming information. Further to this, convictions then develop. Convictions are deep-seated within people and very much shape their views on everything. There is one secret, though, applied to psychology. And again, in terms of psychology, no single value, belief, or conviction is right. It is only a person's subjective experience. So because you may think you deserve respect, it doesn't mean it's true. Because you believe others are better than you, it doesn't mean it's true. Empirical evidence goes a long way to build up evidence for convictions and beliefs. However, so does faith, personal experiences, and so much more. Those with true convictions fight for them. They will filter out informations to suit them. To illustrate this, a very topical issue is gun control. Whatever your convictions are, it doesn't matter. But just realize that those who are pro-gun may filter out the fact that the shooter needed the gun to kill a lot of people, and those who are against guns may filter out the fact that if everyone had a gun, the shooter wouldn't have gone and killed so many people to start with. Both of these are objectively and subjectively true, and if applied to psychology, we can really utilize it for our benefit. The premise behind all of this is that we can alter for our benefit or against us. It's not easy to do because some things are so deep that it's just almost a part of ourselves. However, changing these things can be so beneficial. For example, by valuing exercise as a positive experience, people can get fit and stay healthy and through a combination of exercises and evaluation, changes can be made. We will come back to this later, but for now let's move on and look at some further concepts from NLP. The first one is uptime versus downtime. Uptime is all about being involved in the external events, while downtime is going inside yourself, introspection, and thinking deeply. 
Uptime is where you live in interactions. And downtime is where you plan, prepare, and review. Associated versus disassociated. This is in the context of uptime or downtime. To become associated in uptime allows you to be more experiencing the moment. This is where you place yourself in the event while it's actually happening. Now this is great when you're having fun, but when you're in a boring or painful period, disassociating from the event means that you can endure the experience without feeling the magnitude of negative emotion. When in downtime, association allows you to fully experience the thoughts in visualization, useful in anchoring and such, while disassociation is a useful tool in other areas like the phobia cure, which we'll talk about later. Chunking up versus chunking down. There is a way we to look at going broader and deeper, respectively. If I say car, to chunk up would be vehicle, then transport, then movement. Generally, the level of ab abstraction reaches emotion or scientific cause, then the chunk up is complete. This is similar to the exercise done towards the start when we talked about the purpose of life. Chunking down is where we go from the bigger to the smaller. Car, wheel, tire, rubber, raw materials to make elements and atoms. So what's the point in chunking? Well, it has universal applications. In conversation, if the person has difficulty coping, chunking up or down may be required. So for an example, if the person is overwhelmed because a project is so big, chunk down. Let's say, for example, you have someone who's working on a mining contract. First, mine contract. Second, transport. Third, spare parts. By breaking it down, the task can be tackled bit by bit. However, if the person was asked to organize wheels, engine mounts, pistons, and other parts for a mining contract, then chunking up may be better. The bigger picture of a truck can be obtained, and this can help someone see the end goal or the big picture, which is better suited to plan for this. Modeling. This is simply a process of noticing someone who is doing something that you want. Perhaps it's a successful athlete, a charismatic guy, or anyone who has mastered a certain skill set. Naturally, people copy aspects of these people to try and take it onto themselves. So everyone pumps up iron because Arnold Schwarzenegger did. The thing is that NLP is so hot on modeling because it is so thorough. The person notices everything about every aspect about the role model and then copies that. Allowances must be made for genetic and other environmental factors, but it is generally true to say that states achieving, that's a relative level of greatness, and much more is attainable through modeling. When going through the process, it often helps to be able to talk with your role model to elicit strategies from them on how they perform. In the blueprint NLP uses, it has a copying process for it. For example, you might want to 
be charged up in the morning like your brother, for example. Sit down and ask him, what is the first thing that happens to him before he sleeps, when he wakes up, and so on and so on. So for example, he might respond that he goes to bed thinking of what a great day he had, seeing in his mind how much fun he had, then close his eyes, go to sleep, and upon waking, the light may hit his face. And then he says to himself, feels like today is going to be a great day. Then he gets up, his body starts moving, maybe he hears invisible music, whatever it is. Each of these aspects is important. Now your job is simple. Simply copy them. Go to bed thinking about the fun things that happened that day, perhaps paying particular attention to your visual recall system, like your brother did, that is, he sees in his mind's eye. Then allow yourself to close your eyes. Upon waking, make a conscious effort to allow some form of brightness to wake you up. Feel inside yourself that you're great and today will be great and then get up maybe dancing to the invisible music. Specific steps require planning, such as feeling great when waking up. To do this, simply anchor that state beforehand and then, in this example, use it in the mornings. You should notice that while everyone is different, modeling has a pretty good success rate, kind of like baking a cake. If every step is copied to the letter, then the cake should, and generally does, turn out similar from the other cake that the baker across the street made using the same recipe. So pay attention to which order the senses are incorporated for the individual and the content and the context involved. Modeling comes naturally. Incorporate this method, adding and changing bits and pieces until it works for you because essentially we are all slightly different. Language. Language is the expression of the senses, processing and thinking, allows yourself to make sense of the world in the way your experiences with others or even communicating within yourself. Perhaps it is coming from the senses. It makes sense that the language can also be enhanced by adjusting the characteristics of the senses, like you do when we do the imagination exercises. It can be more colorful. Intensity can be changed simply by adding words like brighten, screaming, and others. We appeal to ours or other senses so that they can experience the conversation while we talk. Going another step deeper, speaking in metaphors makes a conversation even more interesting. This appeals to all the senses and goes straight in the processing of information. This is where, as you remember, we make sense of all the information coming in and chunk it into the five to nine bits of information consciously. So from simply being descriptive to telling stories that correspond with the event, we have directed the conversation. This brings us to the next step, which is hypnosis. While our conscious mind processes five to nine bits of information, the parts that process this and everything else is your unconscious. Essentially, that memory of attending your first ball was in your subconscious just prior to listening to me mentioning about 
your first ball. We have two choices, to focus our attention or to have someone else focus ours. Conversely, we can also focus others' attentions. This is the premise behind the entire system. Life is simply experience and recall from a psychological perspective, while processing and direction happens automatically. When used powerfully, this allows the process of hypnosis to take place. When applied trivially, it can be called whatever you want, but I call it hypnosis. So hypnosis is not a mystical art after all. It's just understanding how we relate our conscious and unconscious mind, then directing them in order to achieve a result. Hypnosis takes the notion of the conscious and unconscious mind. The conscious is like the window of a shop. You can see what's behind the window and what's in the shop is so much more. Perhaps it's a big warehouse. So one day you might have a mannequin in the dress window. The next, a different product. All of the things that are on display in the window come from the big shop or warehouse which hosts millions of different things. The unconscious mind is that warehouse. Memories of childhood, skills you're not currently taking part in the present, these are all in your unconscious mind. Hypnosis is all about interacting with the unconscious mind to affect the conscious mind, usually in the future. Various techniques are used to communicate through hypnosis, including relaxation, metaphors, body language, contradicting language, bizarre language, double meanings, voice changes, storytelling, and layered stories, just to tell a few. How to hypnotize someone? It's easy. The two most important parts is number one, ensure that the subject is willing and cooperative, and number two, ensure that you are confident and come from a position of power. Then almost every hypnosis session begins with a guided relaxation session. This is followed by instructions to the unconscious mind while using the communication techniques as we discussed earlier. Then there is reinforcement through different methods and a count upwards to come back to waking state and that's your session. But does it really work? Case studies are extremely strong showing that hypnosis has a strong success rate. However, in the longitudinal studies, the meta-analysis and systematic reviews, it seems that the evidence is lacking. But I advise to give it a go, because from first principles, it makes sense. And always remember that the placebo effect reaches up to 33% in some cases. So it's a low-risk option. Give it a try. Contrasting. Contrasting, this is NLP rapid change. Contrast allows an individual to change convictions, beliefs, or states immediately. The process is through paying close attention towards a time when they experience something, then converting that to another time. So let me give you an example. If you want to change your feeling of inadequacy to one of power, you have to remember a time when you were experiencing each state. When you were feeling inadequate, where were you? What does your 
memory look like? What did it feel like? What did it sound like? What's the quality of the memory? Where is it located in your mind's eye when you think about it? And what was associated with the memory? The answer might be, I felt inadequate when I was not chosen for my basketball team. I relive it in my mind. I feel small in a big basketball court, sitting alone. The memory is a still frame off to the left in my mind's eye, below eye level. This memory hits me when I'm not suspecting it, like when I'm taking a shower. And it also comes up during any sporting selections I see on TV. Now, contrast this with the power state, such as I was playing basketball and it was the best game ever. After the game, people called out my name and I got a medal. It was great. The picture is bright and huge and in front of my face, an extreme close-up, motion movie type action, 4K, movie blasting and people all around. I'm bigger than everyone else and I can feel that I am truly happy. So we have two contrasts. The next stage is to put the power picture in the inadequacy memory. Feel if you can experience the power emotions during the inadequacy scene. If you really focus on placing your power memory in the inadequate one, then the power memory starts to take hold. This is useful not just for state change, but belief change. Now when you have the belief that you are inadequate, you can have the power memory. Strange. It becomes harder to keep that belief that you are inadequate when you take this as repetition. When you have the belief that you're powerful, backed up even in your nervous system, even in your memories. Now the idea is to go through this process for several memories and several states. Like I said before, remember repetition. Like all the graded exposure, this is all about the proof concept. With the contrast, you start to experience proof of whatever you want. It's quite powerful. It's used for different unique applications, including time distortions, which is contrasting procrastination to just doing it. Energy, contrasting low to high energy. Performance, contrasting low to high levels of performance. Belief change, contrasting thinking about kids that they're naughty to how naughty you were as a kid. The best thing is that once this has been done, it opens up even more potential to you and your life. And you can make things even more different from how they appear to be. Also, instead of going back to the state, one can create or remember several different states in one. This sounds bizarre, and half of the exercise is to show what's possible. The other half is to find some quality states which incorporate several states, which we will discuss in the circle of excellence. This is easier with a coach, but not impossible while alone. Using a trance or an alpha pattern beforehand means that you can go through this alone easier. Just one more application. If you've ever heard about the NLP like to dislike or dislike to like, this is the exact same tool that people use to overcome phobias quickly or to learn to be disgusted by a certain type of junk food. It's really quite powerful. So we'll discuss this later, but if you have a chance, look into it yourself.
In this episode, we have looked at how the mind works, and in understanding this, we can understand ourselves and others better. This not only means that we can upgrade ourselves, but appreciate the process of others, which allows for adaptive distance that is so important, so we don't get caught up in others' dramas. This week, we bring back Frankie to discuss more about his life's purpose and how his unique journey with ayahuasca facilitated this for him. As Frankie states, this type of experience is not for everyone, but with the increasing popularity, it's interesting to learn all the paths. Here's Frankie. Well, hello to all the beautiful alpha males out there, and thank you, Michael, for having me back. It's uh, really amazing to, to hear that so many of you guys were, um, or at least enjoyed or felt a little bit inspired by my story, all my crazy mystical ayahuasca journeys, and uh, kind of reconnecting with my own life purpose and helping other people like you uh, listening to connect more deeply with your own and live a more intentional, inspired life that really helps you step into your own benevolent alpha, which I think is what we're really talking about here today. So I wanted to share with you guys a couple of things about um, really purpose and how I found mine. And more importantly, if you're listening to this, is how you can find your own purpose and do this in a way where it's actually really simple and it's really easy. Like a lot of people really struggle with this. In fact, I've heard people tell me, I was just talking to a girl earlier who said, I feel completely lost in my life. I'm surrounded by these negative people. Um, I feel like something's missing. I feel like I was meant for more than this. And when you're in that spot, uh, it really fucking sucks. So that's the highly technical term, of course. Um, and the flip side of that is, you know, we're going to show you um, much deeper than that is I deal with really inspired people who tell me I cannot wake up and get to work and start building my dream. Like there's nothing more inspiring in the world to me. When you feel that inspired, um, things just kind of flow. So let's talk about how to do that. So I'm going to tell you really quickly um, how I found my own purpose. And to be honest, um, I found it through in many ways living the opposite. So in the last year and a half, I've lived the really cool, crazy, awesome travel laptop lifestyle that a lot of people dream about. Like it's really how I live on a daily basis. So I think my girlfriend and I have been to 30 countries and I originally started this journey in 2007 when the economy went tits up and I was kind of forced into it. And I remember thinking if I could build an online business, be able to travel the world, things would be amazing and I could earn money anywhere and it would be amazing and life would just be super cool. And it turned out to be a really, really brutal struggle. It took me about seven years to even really um, be able to make like a really good living doing it because, you know, for the first while it was just really uphill effort. And, you know, when you dream about being a laptop millionaire and reality is giving you the hard work and uh, kind of endless, unfun pursuit, you know, you definitely feel out of your purpose. And I remember actually in one of my ayahuasca journeys, so what I was doing at the time was doing all this SEO work, which if you're not familiar with it is, you know, ranking websites in Google. And I didn't really particularly like the people I was working with. I didn't particularly like the work. I didn't like um, the stuff I was selling. So I was selling plastic surgery for women, I know. Um, 
you know, there can be some benefits of plastic surgery, but I kind of just felt like most women look better without it. And it was just kind of like artificially manipulating their insecurities. And I never really felt very good about what I was selling, except the problem was it, it paid all my living. And I had one client in particular who was represented about 95% of my business. So I was like really dependent on this guy. And he was like a real angry guy who would call me morning and night. And I remember I actually started turning off my cell phone because I didn't want to talk to him all the time. And he said, well, I'll buy you a company phone and mailed me a phone because we need to be in touch 24 hours a day. And he just like, so I never had a moment's peace. And so all of this came up for me when I was in my own sort of deep visionary work in an ayahuasca experience. And I said to myself in this, in the depths kind of my soul, I just said, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Just like, it's not fun. Like, I don't. And if you've ever been there where you worked really, really hard to achieve a goal and then you do and it feels really empty, it's like probably one of the most awful feelings in the world because you literally like lose hope and you start to feel depressed and life becomes like there's nothing to look forward to anymore. And so I was in that cycle and I remember when. I really let it go. It wasn't an instantaneous experience, but I started to really look at like, well, what did I really believe in? What really meant something to me? What really resonated? How could I do something meaningful in the world that capitalizes on my gifts? And it's in those kind of deep questions where you start to find your purpose. Now, one of the things that I get asked is like, is this subjective or is it objective? Like, do we all have a purpose? Uh, is my purpose different than your purpose? And the answer is kind of, yeah. I mean, there's nobody out there who can tell you this is what your purpose is. That's something you have to discover for yourself. But I think where most people get tripped up is they don't realize there's a very systematic way that I ultimately discovered that allows you to tap into your purpose. I'm going to share a little bit of that with you guys right now because I think you'll really, really dig it. And um, become one of those people instead of being one of those people who, again, says I'm completely lost – is one of those people who says, I can't wait to get to work. And it's really, really simple. It's your purpose in life overlaps in two really, really key areas. And it is, what do I love to do? And what am I really great at? So there's things that you can love to do that you're not necessarily really great at. And there's things that you're probably really great at that you don't necessarily enjoy, especially if you're an alpha male uh, and you're listening to this and you're working on continuous improvement. You're, you're more evolved than the average human being. And so what's really, really interesting, I think most people don't realize is that your past leaves clues. And let me tell you what I mean by this. Um, so I was at a, a Christmas or New Year's party or one of these kind of things back home in my hometown and picture a scene of, you know, a hundred kind of friends of family and not a sober eye in the house or not a sober brain, self-included. So everybody's kind of drunk or high at one of these big kind of things. And I remember I went inside to take a leak and there was a guy inside who I'd met once before really briefly and he was playing the most beautiful piano music. And it was so beautiful that it just stopped me dead in my tracks. Whatever I was thinking about or doing that moment before, whoever we were gossiping about or whatever you do at parties, it all just stopped for a moment. And I just stopped and just listened to him play. And he was so focused on what he was doing that he didn't notice that I was standing behind him. So I could just kind of observe him. And he just played it. And I swear to God, I felt like he was just like playing straight from the soul. I can't explain to you, but it was just, it was such beautiful piano music. And as he was playing this beautiful piano music, somebody else came through and they stopped too. 
And before I knew it, there were like six people and he just fluidly played. It wasn't really a song. It was just this kind of fluid composition that just kept going and building and softening. And it was just so beautiful sounding. And six of us just sat and listened. And at the end of 20 minutes, he turned over and looked at us and he saw me just staring at him and finally noticed that for like 20 minutes, people had been listening to him and that he actually had an audience. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to play piano. And I kind of laughed. I was like, what do you mean you don't know how to play piano? Like, what were you just doing for the last 20 minutes, right? And he says, well, I don't know how to play anybody else's song. And I go, yeah, but that song you just played for 20 minutes, that's your own song. And you've just played it perfectly. Like, there's nobody else on planet Earth who could play whatever that song you just played was from the heart. And I realized this is how most people are looking at their purpose because they're looking at it like, um, oh, I have this beautiful piano song, but they don't think it's anything because, you know, sometimes we just feel small as human beings. And I heard this really amazing quote that I think is going to be really powerful for you, which is, don't die with your music still inside you. And you don't want to die with your music still inside you. And so it really comes back to looking what, again, what do you love doing and what are you great at? See, I, I realized when I was doing uh, my business, I was doing things that I was great at in, in terms of like I had competency in them, but I didn't really particularly enjoy them and I didn't love doing them and I didn't feel like it was making a difference in the world. And as a result, it really felt empty each day. And so one of the beautiful things that most people don't realize, and I think this is the most powerful thing if you just take just one thing from listening to this, it's that your past leaves clues. And the number one thing that if you just take a little bit of time and self-honesty is what you realize is if you look at the past, there are moments where you probably felt inspired, where you probably felt like everything flowed, where you probably just felt in the right place in the right time and things were beautiful. And then there were also times where you probably didn't enjoy life, where it felt hard or you were drowning in work or relationships weren't working, um, maybe even feeling depressed, sad, lonely, you know, scared, overwhelmed, frustrated, things like these. And it's really powerful to look at both of those moments and, and to see what you can understand and learn from them and to say, you know, what's different about the, ex the experiences that I really love doing that felt so natural and, and how is that different than the ones that I didn't enjoy so much and because you have the power to ask this question, it creates for you something really amazing, which is it'll give you the ability to then to see what you want to create more of and then also what you want to create less of and what you want to eliminate for your life. And it gives you something to be able to strive for. And what you'll find is as you're doing that, just because you love doing it and because you're great at it, you'll be playing your own piano music, your own song that sings to the world that really lights you up with your purpose. And I found it's impossible to have a purpose, at least in my experience, that doesn't overlap with without contributing to mankind in some way, without making a difference in this world, which is why uh, we can never have enough benevolent alphas like you guys. And so I wanna tell you just a little bit about the, the crazy ayahuasca experiences I've had that helped me kinda of really learn some of these things. So some of the tools we learned is something called Icaros. And to be honest with you, when I first learned this, Ikaros sounded like a total like pile of shit. So what they are are these chants that people do while they're taking these hallucinogenic plants. And when I first heard these, I remember I heard some guy on YouTube who was like, and he sounded something, he was like, 
And I thought it sounded like the dumbest thing I had ever heard in my life. Um, so at the time, I had been trying uh, ayahuasca on my own, and I don't recommend that, by the way. Um, stick to, to going to a really badass shaman who knows what they're doing with it, but that's a whole separate discussion. But anyway, I decided to take it, and it's the, I was sitting in my backyard, which is a very like kind of isolated place in nature at the time, and it started to rain, so I decided to go in my house to a front room, and because I was doing all these you know, laptop kind of businesses, I had a, a camera set up. Now, at this time, I started hallucinating my ass off and a couple of really crazy synchronistic things kind of all came together for me at once. So one of those was um, I'm sitting there, I'm starting to hallucinate and I wasn't really feeling my best and my guitar was sitting next to me and there was a camera and there was just kind of stuff placed around the room and I suddenly got inspired and I picked up my guitar and I just started playing what felt good and it was just random notes but it just kind of I don't know, I don't know how to explain it other than it made me happy to play. And as I played it, I got happier and happier. And it was really, really interesting because I looked over and as part of this video project, I had printed out a picture of this one lady who I had found fascinating because she was a black lady in the South in the early 1900s and she became the first female millionaire in the South back in the early 1900s when you know a million was more like $100 million. And she went door to door selling this hair tonic. And what really, you know, just I found so compelling and so interesting was that, um, you know, in the South where it was both racist and sexist, here's a black woman knocking on doors. And just imagine the number of times people slammed the door in her face and shouted insults. And yet she pushed through it and sold millions of dollars of this hair tonic, like I said, which is more like hundreds of millions today. And she built a whole army of door-to-door salespeople and it was a really interesting story so I had printed out a piece of paper with her picture on it to illustrate this story as part of the video I was doing and as I was looking over it started to she started I don't know how else to explain it but I was on a lot of hallucinogenic drugs so that kind of <laughs> explains that but she started to float out of the page and she's as I was playing this beautiful guitar song she looked over to me and this kind of like etheric being who had floated out of the page said, you're doing it, you're getting it, now you're getting it. And I just kept playing this beautiful music and it just, things felt more and more inspired. And I remember looking over and I had been shooting 40 videos and they were all kind of like, um, I'm one of those disorganized people. So I had made a sheet of paper to organize my thoughts and I had these 40 videos I was recording and I, I needed notes on where each one was. So some of them were completely incomplete. I hadn't even started, so I wrote an I. Some of them were complete, so I wrote a C. Some of them needed the audio fixed or remastered, so I put an A. Some of them I, I had the content ready, but I hadn't actually recorded the video, so I wrote an R. And then some of them I just couldn't remember where they are, so I wrote a zero. And I looked over my handwriting, and on this sheet of paper, as this like etheric being was floating over, in my own handwriting, on this video project, I had written I-C-A-R-O, and I'd written it vertically without realizing it written, which was Icaro. And so I saw this spirit, for lack of a better term, um, telling me to play this music, and as I looked over, I saw the word Icaro, uh, which is the name of the chants you learn in these shamanic rituals. And... Until about that point, I didn't really think they were all that significant. And um, I really think there's some magic to the healing power of sound. And so we use these in our ayahuasca rituals um, to sing our what are called ikaros. And 
Also, I think this is one of the best things you can do for you in your own space, just to give you another really good idea that I practice regularly is always having just like beautiful music playing in my space. I once heard a really cool entrepreneurial friend of mine who just really listened to chilled out, peaceful, happy music, and it allowed him to feel peaceful and chilled out and happy. And I think it'll do amazing wonders for you. And uh, to tell you another crazy story, one of the things that I think that stops people from really experiencing their purpose is really all I can describe it as really intense emotions. So for me, that was uh, a crippling anxiety. I've seen other people who, you know, they just feel depressed. Uh, some people tell me they're just frequently overwhelmed. Other people tell me they're frustrated. Uh, other people feel really guilty and shameful for something they did. You know, everybody's experience is a little bit different, but in regards to those really intense emotions, um, one of the things that's really interesting that happens in an ayahuasca experience is that, at least for me, I mean, I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody, but um, you reach a state of consciousness where you realize, um, the only way I can describe it is where all of life is this grand illusion that this infinite being is creating. And I'm not trying to preach on you, by the way. So if your, you know, religion or spirituality is different than mine, you know, you don't have to take on my point of view. I just want to share with you, you know, what I experienced. Um, but as you're in there, the beings that come to you, um, they come from this place of infinite intelligence. And because of it, they, you know, these kind of apparitions you experience in this or spirits, they will often use your personality to communicate with you because... Um, you know, they don't necessarily have their own. And so using yours just makes a lot of sense. And for that reason, for me anyway, they're hella funny because they have this kind of like, you know, I, even though I'm a well-educated man, I grew up in a very ghetto-y area. So I have this funny mix of half ghetto English and, you know, well-spoken university-educated English kind of mixed together. And uh, and so I'll, I was in this experience and I remember I had at that point in my life and my business, I had experienced this crippling anxiety where every single day, often for an hour or two, I would be so anxious and so stressed out that I literally couldn't do or accomplish anything. I couldn't even calm down. And I just remember experiencing this immense stress and not really knowing how to cope with life. And I remember actually asking the head medicine spirit of ayahuasca, who we call Papatua. I said, Papatua, why do I have this anxiety? And it's really, really interesting if you've ever had one of these journeys, because the spirits you experience are very literal. So they give you exactly what you ask for, not what you thought you were asking for, or what you mean to ask for. So after about 45 minutes, I, I experienced that what can only be described as a mental ass kicking. And I remember just feeling awful and I said, Papa Tua, why are you doing this to me? And I immediately hear the thought in my mind that said, because you asked why you have this anxiety. I just showed you why you have it. And I remember saying, well, don't I need to know why I have this in order to release it? And remember again, this is, <laughs> this is not how spirits talk to everybody, but using my personality, he went, fuck no. And, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, I'm reminded of a quote by the Buddha that explains it that said, essentially, most people are walking around having been shot with arrows. And instead of just taking the arrow, the arrow out, they want to know who shot him. And so I realized I was doing a metaphorical version of that, that I was wanting to know why I had this anxiety, where does it come from, tell me that my childhood issues, instead of just like taking two seconds and pulling the arrow out of me. 
And so I realized then, I said, well, Papa Tua, release it. And it's very funny because the spirits are quite literal in these experiences. And if you've ever experienced it, there's an aspect of ayahuasca called purging that where you suddenly um, have to either vomit or shit. Um, but it's very different than a normal thing because there's like a whole energetic release that kind of happens with it. And you just, it's, it's hard to describe, but you feel very differently than a normal puke. Like sometimes you feel like you're puking out 30 years of experience in one vomit. And uh, I suddenly had to take a planet-sized shit. That's the only way I can describe it. And I remember sprinting to the bathroom and just thinking, please, God, please, God, no one be in any of the toilets. Like, I desperately need one now. And I got in there. And as I went to uh, take a dump, which um, thankfully nobody was there, and I went to go take a dump, and I suddenly realized that there's this planet-sized shit in my butthole's maybe the size of a quarter. And I remember going... Papa Tua, how am I supposed to get this out of me? And I'll never forget this because, like, you know, sometimes the, the things that happen in these journeys are so insane you couldn't even make them up. And, you know, so the spirit said to me, hey, you just, had, you just asked to be rid of it. The Drano is your fucking problem. And I remember just laughing at that, not really expecting to get that as an answer. But I literally took a very uncomfortable poop over the next... 20, 30 minutes, and I've never had the anxiety uh, in my life since. And I think one of the important things for really doing your purpose work is having tools to deal with the things that come up uh, in these resistance. And it's a little bit different for everybody. So not everybody is meant to go on these crazy spiritual journeys. Uh, some of you guys, though, should probably come see me. Um, but, you know, what it involves is some form of self-care and self-honesty and just really looking at, like I said, what feels good to you. What, what do you love doing? What really inspires you and what are you great at? Because where those things overlap, you're going to find a life that's so much more fun that actually feels, you know, like exciting to move into more and more and is less, you know, quote unquote work. Um, so I hope that's really helpful in discovering your purpose because it really helped me to discover mine and you know, I, again, nobody can tell you exactly why you're meant to be here on this earth, but there's definitely some ways that can help you do it faster. And one of the things that I help people do, uh, if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about me, is to experience these things faster. So we have our own um, sacred plant retreats. And right now, you can go to uh, sacredplantretreats.com. And it's really about discovering why you're here on this most deepest level and becoming the best benevolent alpha version of yourself which is so fulfilling and is so grateful. And I wish I knew this stuff 15 years ago because I could have saved myself a lot of misery. So if you're sitting there listening to this, you know, don't, don't be stupid like I was and make it take way longer because it doesn't need to. And um, what you're going to find is, you know, a, a so much more upgraded version of your life. And so I hope that's really helpful, um, whether or not that's for you. Um, you know, practice finding your purpose because... Um, it's one of the most important things that you life is about. You, you almost can't live life without it as far as I'm concerned. So that's all I got, Frankie Finn, and may the force be with you guys. Lots of love. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com. If you liked the podcast so far, you will love Michael Pulser's new book coming out soon, Alpha Dude Personal Upgrade. 
In this text, we look deeper at the Alpha Dude system with many not-seen-before tools and techniques which will upgrade you so you can fulfill your potential. Stay tuned for details.